All right, Acts chapter 11, you're here this morning, and uh, I'm glad that you're here this morning. And we're here in a series of messages on real church. And of course, if we're going to talk about real church, we've been talking about real salvation. And now we're talking about a real Christian, because in your Bible... The word Christian shows up for its first time here in this chapter. And everybody wants to think of themselves, and when I say everybody, I mean, you know, most everybody. If you do any visitation work, most of the people you run into, no matter how you find them, what they're doing, or what they might have in their hand uh, at the time, they're, they're a Christian, or they think they're a Christian. And it has nothing to do with the biblical definition of the word Christian and some of that could be due to ignorance some of that could be due to lack of training and some of that could be due to deception of the devil what we want to get here in the word of God this morning and kind of take a, a look at a man that shows up here that he's been here he showed up as early as Acts chapter 4 and his name is Barnabas I believe him to be a very distinct Christian. A few weeks back, I made mention to the different ministries in our church. And when we was talking and preaching on the conversion of Saul. And Saul, we remember, we talked about the two most important questions that you will ask. One, who art thou, Lord? And number two, what wilt thou have me to do? And so we learned from scriptures that when a person is born again, their mindset or the mindset is they're saved to serve. There is something God wants you to do. And then it's up to you to discover that life mission. And the only way you're going to discover your life mission for God is that you subject yourself to the way of God the work of God, and then the training, or what we call in the Bible calls discipleship. Once you have been rooted in the Word of God and established, God will then, because God's just going to give you enough light to operate with for one step at a time. Many times God does not give us the whole picture. And he wants us to operate by faith. And so once you've completed that discipleship, and I pray that you all uh, have been discipled somewhere, and you say, well, how would I know? Well, number one, uh, if, if, you, if you know why you needed to be saved, say, okay, uh, if you knew or know what saved you, who saved you? Uh, if you know, what are you supposed to do now that you are saved? You say, well, I kind of know the answer to those. Yeah, but do you know where the scriptural references are? And see, if not, then you might need some more training, discipling. And we're going we're to pick that up here. As we're looking at Barnabas. Now let's begin reading in verse 19. He says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as 
Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Now we're going to key in on Antioch. Antioch is an important city in the Word of God, and it's important when you begin to study manuscript evidence. Your King James, 1611, come from a group of texts that originated in Antioch, where they were first called Christians. And so uh, at some point in your life, it might be advantageous for you to study manuscript evidence. Why we use a King James? Why do we use the 1611, the King James Version? There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. And those manuscripts called the Received Text or the Texas Receptus, or it's referred to as the Byzantine Text, or it's referred to as the Antiochian Text, this is where it originated. This city is important. He says, And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. They sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came, now this is where I begin to get the text, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost, and of faith. And much people were added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus, for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass, I want you to, if, if you're a Bible marker, and I encourage you to be, you need to mark this little phrase. I, I find it to be so lacking today that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. I'm going to comment on that phrase somewhere around the end of the message. And taught much people, now watch this, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we come, we thank you now for today. Lord, help us as I take the Word of God and attempt to preach. Lord, let me stand aside and you use me as a mouthpiece. Let the Holy Spirit reign supreme. Let us put the preeminence on you. Let us show uh, the power that is in the gospel and the transforming power of salvation. There be any in here or any listening this morning that is backslid or lost, Lord, we ask that you convict them today. Be with those that are in the hospital. We think of Blake Rackley this morning. We also think of Joan Sweeney. We ask that you guide the doctors there this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So here in chapter 11, 
we are reminded once again of the great commission to the church. We, we see that upon the preaching and, and this persecution that happened in Jerusalem, the Apostle Paul had made havoc, Saul, let me get it right, the, Saul had made havoc, that's before he got saved, of the church and God saved him. What a way to uh, slow down persecution. Uh, I remember reading a book by Richard uh, uh, Wormbrandt about Christian persecution in the Ukraine. And he talked about uh, uh, being able to try to win to Christ uh, the leaders of the communist movement. He says uh, the Nazis had nothing on the communists when they come through. And of course, he was referring back to about the World War II uh, era and, and right in, in around that time, time frame there. And of course, he has famous, you might have heard about him, because he had testified in Congress. He's a well-known Christian. and He talks about uh, winning a number of people that were in the leadership, that were actually persecuting uh, these Christians in the Ukraine back in the days, or right in one of those little, little uh, states there, right? It was in that same area. And uh, how that uh, he was able to win them to Christ, and he won many souls to Christ because of persecution. And we see God here. Now the devil's using the persecution to kind of uh, destroy the church. He wants to suppress the church. He's still using the same tactics today. And what happened is God used this persecution to further the gospel. And so we're seeing here the Great Commission, which is to go and evangelize. That's what they begin to do as they disperse. Remember, we had 52,000 people, no less than that, in this church in Jerusalem. And God had told them to go ye therefore in all the world and preach the gospel. He says to begin in Jerusalem and then Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the world. But they huddled up there and in Jerusalem. And one of the things that I failed to mention is they were trying to build a destination church. Now, they didn't have the completed Word of God. And so what they were doing, the church just kept growing, kept growing, kept growing. And nobody was going out into Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And we see that God wasn't really... Uh, hip on that, if I could use that word and uh, terminology, and he began to disperse it through this persecution. And so then we begin to see that these churches went from destination churches to launch pad churches. And that's the model I would like us to run in in the years to come. I've been asked this a number of times. Pastor, what happens when the church reaches its capacity? Are you going to enter into a great building program? No, more than likely not. What we will do, as we'll do what the Bible tells us to do, we'll take 20, 30 people, and we'll go and we'll start another church in an area of this town or this vicinity that needs one. A Bible-believing, a Bible-preaching church. You say, well, that's kind of against the norm, preacher. I I thought we would build a bigger building and a bigger church and have a big old destination church. Is that what you're referring to? No, it's not. We don't really find that much in the Word of God. 
And so we see that the biblical model is a launch pad church. Now I teach on that sometimes in our membership class, sometimes in discipleship about the difference. But I, I bring it up because we see what's going on here is other churches begin to spring up. So we see the Great Commission go and evangelize, then baptize the saints, the ones that are born again, baptize them, and then to teach them, Matthew chapter 28, teach them, the disciples, the saints, to observe the commands of God, which is then to mobilize the saints with the goal of reaching the world for the Lord. That's why we support missions. We don't want to just be so focused here in Morristown that we forget about the uttermost parts of the world. And because not all of us are called to be missionaries to foreign fields, we support missionaries that are called to foreign fields. It's a very wonderful biblical concept. And we see that this persecution that the church begins to mobilize and to branch out. We see here in verse 21 that God's hand, and the hand of the Lord was with them. So God's hand was with them while this was going on. And then we see the church at Jerusalem. They send Barnabas down. They hear of this explosion, if I can use that word, here in Antioch. And so the church says, I don't know. Barnabas, you need to go on down there. He said, now, why do you say it like that? Well, I believe it's implied in the text, verse 23. And when he came and had seen, so he come down on an accountability mission. Now, remember, now, I, I forgot to read the last part of verse 19. If you look back up at the last part of verse 19, he says they were preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And so they get into this Gentile city, and he says they, they begin to preach to the Grecians. Now there's mixed emotions on who these Grecians are. Were they really Hellenistic as far as Greeks, or were they Jews that had been raised Greeks? I don't know. I'll let you fight that out. But for some unknown reason, the church there in Jerusalem says, I don't know if God's really working there. They had this problem with Cornelius. They didn't think a Gentile could be born again and that God could work with the Gentiles. Uh, they were uh, going and being selective and only going to the Jews. And of course, we see in Rome, it says to the Jews first, but also to the Greeks. And so we learn that this gospel is going to be an inclusive gospel. That doesn't mean that uh, uh, we preach it and change it to the different cultures. It means uh, no matter what culture you're in or what people group you're from, black, yellow, red, and white, uh, you can believe the gospel message from the Bible, the Bible's perspective, and the Bible's truth-telling of the gospel, and you can accept that, and God will save you. That's what we mean by an inclusive gospel. And the Jews, they said, well, it's only to the Jews. and They only had the Old Testament. and That's kind of how it worked in the Old Testament. You had to be a proselyte Jew if you wanted in on the promises of God. 
God had broke down that middle wall of partition. And God had done away with those ordinances in the law according to Colossians. And he said he nailed it to the cross because he is the sacrifice. He was the ultimate sacrifice that all the Old Testament sacrifices were pointing to the Messiah that would come. And so they sent him down. And then Barnabas, when he gets down here, he says he had seen the grace of God. So he's seeing it with his own eyes that God is truly working. Uh, they, they didn't have them a shaker movement going on. Uh, you, could, you can look that up some other time. I'm not going to get into that. That was a, a group of people that got into shaking thinking to uh, be able to manifest the Holy Spirit of God and so on and so forth. But they, they, they sent old Barnabas down to check this out and surely uh, when he seen this he said, no, it's, it's God's work and God's saving these people. And so he was glad. He says, and when he seen the grace of God, he was glad. Oh, that's nice. I've seen people that weren't glad when people were getting saved. I remember, I've seen with my own eyes. I can name you the church. It's High Point Baptist Church. was a member of back in the day. It's no longer High Point Baptist Church. It's there on Fields Ertle Road, Cincinnati, Ohio. I remember my father was the pastor there for a couple of years. And I was 16. And I remember that God got into that work. There was a couple hundred people there. And it was a church that looked a lot like this one. It was decor was red. It was nice looking. Uh, it was a little bigger. It could seat easily 400, 450. It had run 450 in its heyday, and it had split. And so my, they called my father to be the pastor, and God got in it. People started getting saved. And, 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 and people, those people, when they got saved, they, they'd come into the church, and they wanted to uh, follow the Lord in believer's baptism. But then they wanted to join the church and then they wanted to work in the church. And I seen the people that were the members, old members, about the fifth or sixth week when you had about 10, 15 people getting saved. And I, I, I'm not talking about the one, two, three, repeat after me. We, we're not from that brand of Christianity. We're talking about we're going to present the gospel and we're not into a high-pressure high sales pitch. People were getting saved. God was working. And so, you know how it goes. Uh, people get saved and they get scripturally baptized and then they, they say, well, we want to join the church and there was coming up at 10 10 and 15 at a time we want to join this church and so you know how the pastor does he says all in agreement raise your right hand or say amen everybody did have you ever been in a church where somebody says no i disagree i have it was that church and that sunday morning dad you know just, just being formal said is there anybody here that would disagree that these folks be added to the church? Some hands started going up. Yeah, I disagree. I don't think they need to be added to the church. And then, uh, and it was a woman that led that. And then another lady rose her, her hand up. No, I disagree. I don't think they need to be uh, in there. And then uh, uh, another person, then a, then a husband uh, jumped up because her wife, I'm up on the balcony running the sound booth. It was up on a balcony. She was 
kneeling, put your hand up, put your hand up. And so all of a sudden on a Sunday morning, we had two people get saved. We got 15 people wanting to join the church. You know what the reason was? That's it. Oh, why? Because we'll lose control of the church. There's too many people getting saved and joining and we'll be outvoted. Like, outvoted from what? Sunday morning, God is my witness. That went down. And it started from there. I have literally been in a church where I've seen... And I'm going to tell you this, those people that were doing that were not Christians. I'll tell you that right now. They were not glad. They were not happy. They didn't want to see people get saved. And they began to work in that church. And by the time it was done, and Pappy was voted out. They didn't, like the, they didn't want the church to grow. They, they, didn't want, they didn't want to lose their power. Well, it's not High Point Baptist Church today. It's done. Now, I didn't mean to say all that, but I have personally witnessed that. And I got news for you. That was sparked when I seen that Barnabas was glad to see these people getting saved. When you got someone sitting in a church who is not glad when people get saved and want to join the church and identify with the church, that's a problem. Barnabas was not like that. Barnabas' resume was he was a good man. That's what the Bible says. Full of the Holy Ghost, full of faith. And he was a fruitful man. Look with me in verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added to the Lord because of Barnabas. It was already growing, but once he got there, it grew more. Let me ask you a question before I get and give you some points. Are you like Barnabas? This is where the Bible says, and they were first called Christians in Antioch. Are you like a Barnabas? He is among this group at Antioch where they are first called Christians. It's implied that through the work of Barnabas, and he goes and gets Saul, who had just gotten saved, to come and help. The results of their discipleship training, this church is the place where the term Christian was first used. And it wasn't these disciples calling themselves Christians. If you look at that closely, it's the city of Antioch that begins to refer to these people of Christians. And that term means Christ-like or Christ-follower or followers of the way. It was different from anything they'd ever seen. And God's hand was on it and He blessed it. Barnabas, according to the scripture, scripture, was a Christian. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? 
like the Bible defines a Christian. So let's get into that. Are you a Barnabas Christian? I almost titled the message, A Barnabas Christian. Maybe it needs to be titled, Be a Barnabas. That is one of the ministries that you could be involved in in this church is the Barnabas ministry. I'll point that out as we go through this message this morning. But are you a Barnabas Christian? Number one, I'd say that Barnabas, according to this text, is a sincere man. He says, the Bible says he was a good man. So, well, what would make him a sincere man? If you take your Bible and go back to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Verse 36, and Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. There's Barnabas. Now they're going to tell you why they give him another name. Which is being interpreted the son of consolation. Barnabas is an encourager. And when I refer to a Barnabas ministry, I, more than likely, I always imply be an encourager. Be an encourager. If nothing else, be an encourager. And I'll explain that as we get into the message. But here's the point. He was a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, <laughs> I'm not telling you to go sell all your land and give it to the church. That's not what I'm trying to put across the bow that's that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is he was a good man and a sincere man because he made economic sacrifice to the church here in jerusalem he was a man that was sincere and he was willing to make an economic sacrifice he was practicing sacrificial giving now that's a level a lot of people never reach. Some people think sacrificial giving is just 10%. It is not. That's just the bare minimum, that's 10%. And then you get into missions giving, but then you get into that sacrificial giving where you're beginning to sacrifice your... Some of you have been telling me how much money you're spending at Starbucks. I'm sorry, I wouldn't give $15 for one drink. Now that's me. Now I might give $150 for a bait cast and fishing pole combo. <laughs> I guess we all have our little faults, don't we? I, if I go and get Starbucks coffee, it's always black. If I'm brave, and I think my ticker can handle it, I get a shot of espresso. It's about three, maybe four bucks at most. But sacrificial giving is when you get into that Starbucks money. Say, okay, that's $5 a day. And some of you, I'm not going to mention no names, are spending that two times a day. So that's almost $30 a day. Times six. Somebody do the math. Say, I'm going to deny, I'm going to sacrifice that and drink black coffee, home-brewed, Javalia. That's really good stuff. 
and give that money I'm spending sacrificially to the work of God. Barnabas was that kind of a man. He was a sincere man, the Bible says. And the Bible says this. Uh, Barnabas did this because he loved the work of God. And the Bible makes this. Uh, in Matthew 6, 20, he says, But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, whether neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So Barnabas's heart was in the work of God, was in church. He was a sincere man. The Bible says that he is a sincere man, a good man, a man that would make economic sacrifices for the work of God. I believe that preach. But he was also a spirit-filled man. Said he was full of the Holy Ghost. That means he was spirit-filled. That means he had a separated walk. He was full of spiritual work. Let me ask you this question. Does the fruit of the Spirit speak in your life? Does the fruit of the Spirit speak in your life? Can people look at you when you're out in public and see the fruit of the Spirit in you? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness. Yeah, preacher, as long as I ain't driving, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> as long as they cook my steak right, when I go to the steakhouse, it's all good. Well, okay. Barnabas was a man filled. He was a spirit-filled man. I'm going to say this because we see this in our text because he was a spirit-filled man, and, and I'm referring to that verse over there in Ephesians 5.18 where it says, Be not drunk with wine where is, is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And what he's saying is, you know how an individual gets when they've been overtaken with alcohol? They're drunk. They're controlling. You know, the people say, they'll say things they would not normally say. And they say, oh, it wasn't me that said that. It was, it was the alcohol. It was, it was, it was the spirits. <laughs> well, the Bible's saying, you need to be so filled with the Holy Spirit of God that you're drunk on it. That He is controlling you. Every move you make, the Spirit will control you. Now, with that said, let me make this statement. Barnabas was a man that was active before he was asked. Now, I'm going to go somewhere with that because next week or the week after, you'll get a break from me. The week after, we see because of this activity in this church here in Antioch, him and Saul, that God says in chapter 13, if my memory serves me correct, could be chapter 12. I don't think it's chapter 12. It's chapter 13. I don't think my mem Yeah. God says, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work. Now, why would God do that? Well, I'll tell you why God would do that. When you're spirit-filled, you'll be active before you're asked to be active. He was not active because he was asked. 
Now, both are okay, but the one is better. Here's where I'm going with this. A lot of people, I remember years ago, we had a tent revival here. And I was working with this young man, trying to get him to come in church. And we was taking a love offering up every night. Well, one night we had a, took up a, a quite a bit of love offering. And there was quite a bit of cash in those plates. And I seen him looking at it. I was kind of sitting behind him, you know, there. And after the services, he come up to me and says, hey, I think God's calling me to preach. I said, really? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. Man, I, I think God wants me, to, want me, wants me to preach. And maybe you can have me come preach one night and take up a love offering for me. That's what he said. And I said, well, God ain't calling you to preach. He's looking at me. He said, how would you know? You don't know what God's speaking in my heart. I said, well... I, I don't know what God might be saying in your heart, but I do know God. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, God ain't going to call a man to preach that won't even come to church. Not a, I said, you're not a member nowhere. I've been begging you just to get in a couple of nights here, uh, and, and, and you, I can't get you consistent, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're not a member nowhere. Nope, nope. Never done nothing. Nope. Are you tithing? Nope. I said, God's not calling you to preach. God's dealing with you about getting serious about him. Well, he didn't like that. And he left. And that's fine. But the Bible says that a man that is spirit-filled, and God's not going to call a man that's not spirit-filled. And when you study your Bible, God never calls a man who's sitting around doing nothing. They're always active. Moses keeping the sheep. David keeping the sheep, Elijah or Elisha plowing with a yoke of oxen, Joshua a minister to Moses, so on and so forth. What I'm saying is Barnabas was such a man. He was a Christian. It's what the Bible says is a Christian. He's the example of being a distinctive Christian. And he was active before he was asked. What I mean by that is he seen the need he took the lead. That's what he was. He was a man of spiritual conviction. He was strong in the faith. Jude, chapter 1, there's only one chapter there, verse 3, says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You see, Barnabas was a man who had spiritual conviction, strong in the faith. He was going to defend the faith. He was playing for the home team. You know, it's implied <laughs> you're part of a football team that all of the team members maybe it's baseball that's your thing but if you're on a team the moves and the decisions you make are going to benefit that team correct mm. why do we have such a trouble or a problem with that when it comes to church getting everybody to play for the home team and, and, and i'm not saying we don't we have that here but 
broaden your scope a little bit. You, you hear these church splits and troubles and arguing, and I told you about one from years gone by. Why would that be? Because not everybody's playing for the same team. That's why Barnabas was a man of spiritual conviction. He was going to earnestly contend for the gospel. That's what he was doing here. He was playing for the home team. He was not on the fence about his Christian life. He was separated. I know you all think I'm going one way and I'm not. So you think I'm getting ready to bust separation. Take your Bible to Romans 1. He was separated. But here's the part you need to emphasize in your separation. This is what brings balance. It's, it's not how primitive you can live that makes you a good separated Christian. Okay? Here's what will make you a good separated Christian. Verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated. Paul believed in separation. This Bible teaches separation. Now watch this. Separated unto the gospel of God. There you go. Let me tell you something. You won't get a long way in your Christian life if you'll just separate yourself to the gospel. Separate yourself to the gospel, to the home team, to your local New Testament church, to your, to your pastor, and separate yourself to this book. And God will see to it that this other stuff, it'll fall off of you. Because you'll learn that it's weight and it's going to weigh you down in your race. He was a spirit-filled man, a man with spiritual conviction. But he was a man who had soul fruitfulness. Verse 24, I pointed it out. He says, and many people, let me get to Acts chapter 11. Chapter 4 ain't going to do it for me. And much people, there we go, and much people was added unto the Lord when he got to their church here in Antioch, the church grew more. He was a soul winner. He was a discipler. Let me ask you a question this morning. And I, is the church growing because of you? Yeah. See, when Barnabas got to the church in Antioch, it was growing, but when it got there, it grew more. That's why God put it in our text. He's showing us what a Christian biblically defined is. Ask yourself, don't answer out loud. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. Is this church right here, Tree of Life Baptist Church, is it growing because of you? Are you a Barnabas? Are you a Barnabas Christian? Are you working for the home team? People who get saved and not discipled, they typically, typically do not stay in church. Let me ask you another question. Who are you working on right now to help bring along in the faith? This is part of the Barnabas ministry. Who are you working on right now?
to help edify them and encourage them and to, to feed them because babes desire the sincere milk of the Word of God to help the work of God grow. That's a pretty, I, I know, I've, I've, I've got traction and I've got the rubber. If we was in a drag race, I've got it hooked up. There wasn't a lot of spinning coming off the line with that question. See, we today use this term so loosely, don't we? A lot of times our lives, our personal lives, are so in a mess we're hanging on by a thread when we should be on solid footing and solid ground helping others that are hanging on by a thread. So is the church growing because of you? And who are you working on right now? He had soul fruitfulness. Now let me get into the part here where I really think defines the Barnabas ministry. He had a servant's focus. Look with me here in verse 25. You see, this church began to grow pretty quickly. And Barnabas needed help. And so what did he do? Well, he didn't wait till he got asked. He went and did some recruiting. Look at this. Verse 25, then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Saying, what are you trying to say, preacher? Well, Barnabas was happy to have been sent he was happy to go, and he was happy to serve together as a team. Maybe that's what was in my mind, because I had already had the message prepared when at team, team Unity Night about our Wednesday evening service. It's team building, team unity. I'm trying to help encourage you in a Barnabas ministry where we just work together. It's, it's not about hard tests and hard things and, you know, and being skinned by the preacher every Sunday. <laughs> there are some times where <laughs> we get to fellowship together and work together as a team. And that's what Barnabas did here. He recruited Saul. You see, he went and found Saul. He had already introduced him to the church there at Jerusalem because the church in Jerusalem said, we heard that he got converted, but we don't believe it. You know who it was that went and got Saul and took him to the church there in Jerusalem? Barnabas. He was an encourager. He was willing to give him another chance. He went and told Saul, he said, hey, God's doing something down there in Antioch. You want to get in on it? We need some help. We need some help. You want to get in on this, Saul? You need to get in on it. And so Saul said, man, I want in on that. And him and Barnabas come back to Antioch. Now, 
I'm going to get to the part I made comment on earlier. He says, and they assembled themselves with the church a whole year. You see that? Now, I don't know if they were getting together just one time a week. Three times a week, four times a week. The church started by meeting daily. We're supposed to be having more church, not less church, as we get closer to the coming of Christ. I'm, I'm, I'll let you fill in the blanks there, but here's the point. It's clear from Scripture that they committed to teach, disciple, to add, to be a team player for a whole year. That means they didn't miss a service or an opportunity. Let me ask you another pretty hard question. Can you work on something in this church for a whole year? I know it got quiet on me, didn't it? I'm, I, I, I really intended this to be a fun message and uh, to be a lot more dynamic in the, in the delivery of it, but it seemed like the Holy Spirit says, you don't need it that way this morning. You see, now I was on something, I've been on something for a few weeks now uh, that the Lord kind of impressed upon me. Sister Amy was singing a couple weeks ago and I was sitting there again. It seems like God speaks to me when I sit there in a chair. Sometimes I'll come up and pray in that chair. I was praying behind the pulpit last night and uh, I figured I better stop praying on that side. That side's bigger than this side and this side. Better stop that. Or at least break my prayers up so I'm praying evenly so I figured well maybe I just pray behind the pulpit I made mention of this Wednesday night I believe there's three things I think that you need to work on in your Christian life and if you could master them I believe you'd go a long way Barnabas was consistent in his attitude toward the ministry he said they were assembled for a whole year they were good now you say okay just a year well that's because god called them out and we'll get to that that's all that god left them there because god wanted them to duplicate what they were doing here and start other works but they were consistent they were committed and they were conformable. They were obedient to the gospel of Christ. This was the great commission being played out. And God's troops, after they were trained, being mobilized to duplicate, to multiply this. And so my question, I've asked you three hard questions this morning. One of them being, who are you working on right now for the Lord? trying to disciple, trying to encourage. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to encourage somebody. Is the church growing because of you? Is your influence outside of this church for God? And is it at such a level that people want in on what you have, Christ in you? Is the church grown because of you? But then this question here, 
Can you be consistent and what God has called you to do to be a team player for a whole year? Barnabas was. And then he says, and these disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Sometimes that's why your pastor, when somebody says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, you see me kind of smile. That kind of, that kind of smile like, hmm, hmm, hmm. Now you know why. Because that's my definition of what a Christian is. It's God's definition. And I'm not going to let the devil deceive people into thinking they're a good Christian when they're not even at the home plate ready to bat. I'm not trying to be tricky, mean, or snaky, but that is something sobering to think about now, ain't it? And they were first called Christians in Antioch. Are you spirit-filled? Are you sincere? Do you make economic sacrifices for work of God? To help further the gospel? Are you willing to get into that Starbucks money? Whatever your thing is. Do you have scriptural separation? Are you a soul winner? And do you have a servant's focus? You know, this work was so effective because it had the hand of the Lord on it. If you look there in verse 21, it says the hand of the Lord was with them. What God's telling is he puts his blessing on that type of a work and that type of a Christian. They didn't call themselves Christians. That's what the city called them. I'm going to ask you one more hard question. Can the city of Morristown call you a Christian? When they see you out at your job, buying groceries, throwing a fit on the waitress because they just didn't cook your steak quite right, can the city of Morristown, can they call you a Christian? Oh, preacher, I know. I sure didn't mean for this message to be like that. But it is. I believe that it's a convicting message. It's a sobering message. And we need to seriously consider this person called Barnabas in the Bible because we need to strive to be a Barnabas Christian. Let's all stand this morning.